The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open them to 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul's first epistle to Timothy. Our subject in our evening's messages are living for Jesus, and we're studying how that God expects us uh, to live the Christian life, and just as that word Christian should suggest to us, Christ has to be the center of our lives. And learning to live for Jesus is learning to do what pleases Him. What, what do we do to be the kind of workmen that need not to be ashamed? You remember that's what Paul wrote in his second letter uh, to Timothy, workmen that need not to be ashamed. And God's approved workmen are those who know Christ through his word, who study his word. And as we look at messages like we have tonight, we learn how to get closer to him and grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Now, our subjects thus far... Uh, have been discipleship, and we've talked about obedience, we've discussed worship, and those are all areas that are critical to the faith. And now we come to another one this evening that's also very, very important in our Christian lives, and that's how we communicate with God. Now, of course, God speaks to us through His Holy Word, and we're to communicate back with God through prayer. Oh, we've already discussed prayer briefly, if you remember. We talked a, a little bit about corporate prayer, what uh, worshiping in the church and how the church comes together as a whole and prays. But we're going to change that up a little bit now and talk more about your personal prayer life, the importance of our personal communication with God, and that's expressed in this passage of 1 Timothy chapter 2. So if you look there, and beginning in verse number 1, the Apostle Paul says, I exhort, therefore... That first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. Now you'll notice there that Paul begins with this phrase, first of all. Now, its subject, of course, is prayer, but I think if I was writing this, I, I might have started it a little bit different. I would have said, first of all, I want to explain to you what verse number four means. And there's a lot of argument about verse number four, a lot of discussion, but we don't have time to get into that verse tonight, so we're not going to talk about it. But Paul says, first of all, and what he wants to talk to us about here is prayer. So before anything else that he wants to discuss, he wants to speak about how critical that prayer is to us as Christians. And so he puts that right at the top of the list in this chapter. Now, of course, you are aware in our past studies that I've told you over and over again that the top priority that we have as the people of God is the preaching of God's Word. Well, we're not putting Paul at odds with himself or with the rest of the Word of God when we say that here he says prayer is at the top of the list because I think we need to understand that our living and our preaching has to be first energized with prayer. First of all, with being in communication with God. Now, when Before I ever work on sermons, 
what I do is I, I ask God to send His Holy Spirit and to give me the thoughts that He wants expressed to you from the Word. And uh, these verses don't talk about the timing of prayer, but one of the things that we've learned is that it's always good before you ever start a message out, before we start our services out, to speak to God in prayer. Just ask Him to bless the, the Word that's going to be delivered. So we often do that, and we've had prayer tonight, and ask God to have His blessings upon our services this evening. But we need to pray to God, and it's always a great initial step before anything that you attempt to do for God that you enter into prayer before you do it. And that's, of course, as I said, what we do with preaching. Uh, I think about it in terms of preaching, but you need to think about it in terms of anything that you're going to do in the service of the Lord. First of all, it has to be approached with prayer. Now, before we reach the main outline this evening, I, uh, I have on your listening sheet some important factors that I wanted us to note about prayer. Uh, in, uh, in, I think about these particular things in preparation for preaching, but uh, you need to think about them any time that you want to do the Lord's work. Now, I just want you to notice how that prayer is important through these next statements. First of all, prayer is important for forgiveness. Confession of sin in prayer is what brings us forgiveness. Now, John wrote in 1 John 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I know it's been quite a while since we studied 1 John, and those of you that were here for the study, you might remember that. We looked at this particular verse, verse number 9. We looked at that in a, in a great amount of detail, and we determined after all of our studies that that's a verse that's written to save people, not to the lost. Now, it is a statement that's true for those that are seeking salvation, but when John wrote that verse, his primary thought was not to speak to those that were lost, but to speak to people that are Christians, people that are in the church, and what a Christian has to do every single day of his life. He has to confess his sin. Confession is important for cleansing, and according to this verse, we don't have that forgiveness unless we ask. Now, we, we do know that there, there is a sense in which we have forgiveness of all of our sins when we trust Christ. I mean, there's the point that when we trust Him that we've been justified from all of our sins, and we have forgiveness of sins based upon the merits of Christ's righteousness. But John is not talking about that particular type of, of, of uh, forgiveness. He, he's rather speaking about confession of daily sins that defile the holiness of a Christian. Now, now Jesus taught his, his disciples the necessity of, of this daily cleansing when he bent down and he washed his disciples' feet in that passage of John chapter 13. And uh, if you remember studying that, that passage, there Jesus actually talked about two types of cleansing. There's a cleansing in which we are justified in salvation. And uh, in, in that passage, it's more related to a person taking a bath. The justification is a washing of the whole person, and although you do need to take a bath again uh, more than once, uh, in salvation, you don't need more than one bath. You only have to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ one time, and you never have to be washed again. But Jesus showed them something else in that passage. When he bent down and washed their feet, that foot washing was to show them a completely different doctrine. Now, that first one is about our justification. We're justified in the eyes of God one time when we trust Christ as Savior. 
But this doctrine is the doctrine of sanctification. And that doctrine says that every single day we need to be made holy, we are defiled by sins of the world, and so we need to be washed, we need to be cleansed from that sin as well. And so what Jesus did was to use a physical example to show us that spiritual principle that a Christian has to be washed, he has to be cleansed from his sins, he needs to seek forgiveness every day as he walks through this world that's defiling with sin. Now, the next thing that we see here, prayer is so important for peace. That's number two, for peace. Prayer brings us peace. I think that we all have to agree that we are very anxious people. Anxiety is the curse of perpetually busy people, I think. Anxiety attacks us on many different avenues. Sometimes it's financial pressures that we experience where always striving to keep up with someone else. Parents, you know that anxiety attacks you whenever your kids come and say, well, I don't have the right shoes. They're, they're not the same ones that everyone else is wearing, and I don't have the same clothes that they're wearing, and they want to dress like everybody else. It attacks us when we go to get a haircut. Um, we've got to have our hair cut in exactly the right style. We don't want to look like we just stepped out of the dark ages by having a mullet, and so we want to get some other kind of haircut, and, and some prefer to look like they stepped out of the last of the Mohicans by getting a mohawk, so you might do that, but we're concerned about hairstyles, aren't we? I mean, we get anxious about things like that, and we just don't seem to have any peace because nothing ever seems to be right. And then anxiety attacks when we just don't fit in socially or economically, and it really doesn't matter a whole lot to God's people whether they fit in spiritually or not. They're worried about these other things. They're anxious about other things. And we have to be very careful because the world's thinking will begin to dominate our thinking and then we just push everything that God wants out of our way. Well, in Philippians chapter 4, we find the answer to anxiety where Paul said, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer. And supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He said, be careful for nothing. And that just simply means don't be anxious. Don't worry about things. Don't be overrun with anxiety. Well, that's a desirable thought. That's something that we want to do. But how are we going to do that, Paul? How are we going to live without anxiety? Well, he gives the answer in that verse. He says prayer and supplication to God. That gets rid of anxiety. That's what brings you peace. And he says it is a peace that passes understanding. Now, that's certainly a, a very interesting thought, to have peace that passes all understanding. It passes all understanding. What does that mean? Well, you can't understand it. We, we, the world doesn't understand how prayer works. I, mean, I think most of the time as Christians, we don't understand how it works. We know that it does, but we don't understand how does God do this. Prayer, prayer is just a, a calming influence. It settles the heart and the mind. It, it enables you to face the most formidable of your problems. I mean, you, you ask a Christian that's sat by the bedside of a loved one that's dying. And how does a person get 
peace at a time like that? I mean, death, that's the worst thing that can happen to anybody, right? That, that's the very worst thing. How is it then that a Christian can make it through those things? They can actually make it through death for their loved ones and for self. We can face that. Well, prayer enables us to do that. The, God speaks to us, to our hearts through prayer, and that's just a calming influence for us. So I guess maybe you could put it this way, that in prayer... You, you get this, this, this peacefulness because you have a conversation with God. I mean, do you ever just want to sit down and just wish that you had somebody to talk to? You know, I was talking to Matt in the office just a minute ago, and I was just telling him. I won't tell you everything I told him, but I'll tell you that sometimes you just want somebody to talk to. You, you, sometimes you just got to have somebody to unload your burdens on. You know, my dad was that for me. He's been dead for many years now, but there are lots of times that I wish that I could talk to him because he was a very good listener. I mean, he helped me a lot. But there's somebody that's so much better than talking to my dad, and that's to be able to talk with God. And you can do that at, at any time. God speaks peace to your heart, and he does that because of Christ. Now, as I've said, when I think about these things, I, I relate those to preaching. There, there are many sermons that... It, it comes time to preach, and I just don't know what to preach. I don't know how to preach. Sometimes I don't even know how to approach a text. And so there are times that I just dread to sit down with a pen in hand and try to figure out what am I going to preach. And I'll sit there, and my mind is blank, and I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to end. And I pray about that. And I've always found this to be true. It always works. That always works. I pick up the pen and the thoughts begin to flow. And in those anxious times, sometimes I forget that method never fails. It has never failed me yet. So before I ever start, what I need to do is sit down. I need to pray. And then uh, when God gives me the message that he wants to preach, I just have to go back to him and say, thank you. And because he gives me the peace that now the message is ready to go. So I learned this. I have forgiveness and I have peace through prayer. Now, thirdly, thirdly, there's also strength that comes in prayer. Anybody here raise your hand and say that you live without temptation? Anybody here goes through a day without temptation? You know, you would think that somewhere, someplace, sometime, that you would be able to avoid temptation. But you can't. I mean, you, you can't even get in your car roll up the windows in solitude, drive down the highway without a care in the world, without running into temptation. It's not long before you see a billboard with half-naked people on it. The liquor crowd has their signs up there. The casino has their signs up there. Uh, you might drive down the street and somebody's rear-ended another car because somebody decided they wanted to look at a half-naked girl that's on the corner. And don't get me wrong about this. and Just don't, don't get the wrong idea. But I, but I had to take a double take in uh, driving in Sebastopol last fall. I was on my way out to Jenner, and I rounded a corner there, and there was a guy that was standing there in a miniskirt on the corner, a leather miniskirt. And so there was temptation there. I mean, I was tempted to drive on the sidewalk and hear thump, thump underneath my wheels. But, you know, you can't do that. You, you're living with temptation all of the time. Can't even go to church without temptation. You know, people bring the outside into the inside of the church. 
And so that temptations, no matter where you go, you can't go to church without temptation. So I just recommend that what you do is you start your day with prayer and don't let up for the whole day because you're going to need it. See, living for Jesus is living in holiness. And in order to do that, you have to keep your mind free of all the world's clutter. And so I, I just recommend you pray, ask God for strength, and uh, ask him not to let those temptations settle down into sin. Now, Jesus taught this in the model prayer. He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the reason that Jesus said you need to pray about that is because you don't have the ability to deal with temptation on your own. There's no way that you can deal with this on your own. Now, if the Jesus, Jesus himself, who, who of course is the perfect son of God, had to have the Holy Spirit strengthen him and he had to pray in his temptations, then you can be sure that you're not going to survive them on your own. Paul, who's the greatest Christian of all had his daily struggles with temptation. And when he wrote Romans chapter 7, what you see there is just a cry, just a plea to be delivered from, from the evil desires of the sinful mind. Now, I want you to, uh, to listen to what he said. This is not in Romans, but in Ephesians 3. He was writing about being filled with the fullness of God, and he's telling us how we can know Christ better and how to have the mind of Christ. And this is how he put it in Ephesians 3, uh, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. So how does Paul say to accomplish that? He says, bow the knee. Go to God in prayer. He said, I'm praying for you to be strengthened in the inner man. And that's what the Holy Spirit does through prayer. And you have to have that constant communication with God to receive strength. So when you think of these things, when you, you think of forgiveness, you think of peace and strength, the Scripture says these are things that will come to you through prayer. And so that helps us to understand why Paul had so much to say about prayer, why, why this is a, a theme throughout his, his writings and he starts here by saying, first of all, and then he says, be in prayer for all men. And then he wrote about praying always and wrote about continuing earnestly in prayer. And then, of course, he also said to pray without ceasing. You know, sometimes I think we preach, maybe even or we do think this way, that the first century Christian lived in a whole different world. That he was faced, first century Christians were, were faced with a different set of sins than we have and so it must be that they needed prayer more than we need it. And that's why Paul is always telling them, you need to keep praying, you need to keep praying. And that's because whatever they face, that's different from us. But then we start to read the scripture where Paul lists sins. And we find out these are the same things that we face. Same things they had, we have today. Now, there's some issues that we might skirt just a little bit because we live here in the United States. We don't face the same kinds of persecution that they had then. It could come to us. I think this uh, whole thing with the homosexual agenda and all that that's before the Supreme Court, it's not going to be long before we're going to be faced with persecution. That when you try to stand for the Lord and do what's right, and, and as a church we try to do that, and we're not going to give in to the, to the, the homosexual agenda, we're going to have problems with that. And I think that we're going to run into some persecution. And we might even have it worse than they had back then. 
uh, I'm talking about temptation in general because we, we live almost every waking moment with just a sensual barrage of temptation. The lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes, the lust of the ears were, were pounded by evil. And from all different directions, we have, uh, we have the Internet, we have smartphones, we have social media and TV and radio and all the news media. We have gadgets that can put every sensual desire that you could ever want right at your fingertips. I mean, the, the use of that right at your fingertips. And so we need to, we need to be people of prayer. Where, where evil is unceasing, prayer has to be unceasing. And so as God's people, we, we've got to be, be praying... Pray without ceasing is not a senseless, idle command. So God says, and Paul writes that, that that's what we need to do. And we can pretty much determine when Christians lack prayer, lives show it. When people don't pray, their lives show it. Because what have we just said? You receive forgiveness, you receive uh, peace, and you receive strength through prayer. And so when you see Christians that are always burdened with guilt... When you see them constantly worried about things, when you see them powerless to overcome sin in their lives, then what do you conclude? Well, they must not be praying, people. They must not be in communication with God because God answers those very things when we go to Him in prayer. Now, all of that that I've just given you, that's prior to the outline, right? That, that's all free information. So what I did was I cut that part out of my paycheck. You don't have to pay for that. And that's what happens when I feel good and in communication with God. So you don't have to pay for that. But the next part, I'm charging to double for. And that's because uh, I have to make the house payment still. So free stuff is over. Now we begin the sermon. Uh, going on 7 o'clock, 25 minutes till 7 or so, we're going to start this sermon. So we're commanded to pray in Second Tim or 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says, I exhort... And that's not a word of where he's just saying, well, here's a little bit of advice I'd like to give you. That's not what he means by this. It was Paul's job to reproduce himself. I don't mean that he could reproduce himself as an apostle. He couldn't do that. But what he could do was to make good Christians by teaching them how that they could reach the level of fellowship that he had with God. So he starts here. He says, First of all, then he says, you need to pray. He says, you need to supplicate, you need to intercede, you need to give thanks. All of those things are functions of prayer. Well, that would beg the question then, if prayer is so critical for us, and we must communicate with God, that's what he says, how are we going to do that? Is there a right way and a wrong way to pray? And the answer is yes, there is a right and a wrong way to pray. Prayer actually requires training. Most people don't even realize that. They think, well, all you do, well, you just start praying. But the Bible actually shows us that there are ways that prayer can become more effective. So what I want to do now is to take you back to one of Christ's training sessions with the disciples. So let's turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. And let me tell you just a little bit here about Jesus' prayers. His prayers were very powerful. And it wasn't just because he was the God-man. It wasn't because he was God that made his prayers super prayers. He was a man like, like we are. Uh, he was human like we are, and he was subject to all the same weaknesses of the flesh. But he had a certain way of praying that his disciples could see 
was not the same kind of prayers that they were taught in the synagogues. Well, they were used to prayer, of course. This is not a strange thing to them. They grew up with prayer. But the prayers that they grew up were, were more formality. They, they weren't really personal contact with God. But the prayers that they heard from Jesus weren't liturgical prayers, not prayers that are written in cold, dead formalism. Uh, these weren't prayers of century-old rabbis like dominoes, 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 and what you'd hear in high church that's written by dead popes and cardinals. Now, there was something that was very special about Jesus' prayers. I mean, just like all things about him, his, his prayers were special. You remember that people, when they heard him speak, they remarked, well, there's never been anybody who spoke like this man. And I'm sure that they said, there's never been anybody that prayed like this man. Now, I think of that comment that uh, was made about him when he read the scriptures in the synagogue at Nazareth. People heard him read and explain the scriptures, and the Bible says that, all bear witness, and they wondered at the gracious words which proceeded from his mouth. That's what the disciples were hearing when they heard Jesus pray. Not what they'd been taught in their religious training. So we look here at Luke chapter 11 and verse number 1, and it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Well, that's an interesting verse. Jesus' disciples thought, we're behind the learning curve here. We've seen what John taught his disciples. They're praying in a different way. And what John had done was set a precedent for them. And so the disciples were concerned about this. Why, why can't we pray like they pray? Now, John was the only true prophet in Israel when he came on the scene. And he'd already denounced all the legalistic opinions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. John started to tear down his, uh, their standards. And what he did was to restore his disciples to the type of religion, type of prayers that you would read in places like in the Psalms. Sincere prayers that you would find there. Well, the disciples heard Jesus pray, and they wanted to pray in that way too. They wanted to learn how to approach God and to have power with God. So Jesus gave them this very simple tool, a training tool, a simple prayer, an instructional prayer, just a very basic thing, and really not a prayer that was intended to be repeated or anything special to be said in a church service. That's not what this is for. And it's kind of odd that churches keep repeating the Lord's Prayer when what Jesus wanted people to do was build on the principles that were there, not to use that prayer all of the time. And so Jesus gave them that model prayer. Now, if you're interested in, in this particular part of this, uh, I think that one of the best parts of the study that we had in Matthew is when we were in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we spent several weeks studying chapter 6 that has to do with Jesus' model prayer. And so we took every part of that, and we broke each of those parts down, and we just studied what each of those parts were for. So if you're interested in that and you want to review those messages, those were, were preached uh, January to March of 2010, and they're sermons 48 through 57 in that series. And uh, maybe what I, I might do, I haven't decided yet, but I might decide to repeat part of or all of sermon number 48, which would be just a summary of what we need to know about prayer. But here in Luke chapter 11 is that very same instruction that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 6. And the only point that I want to make about it now, because we are going to come back to it in later messages, but the only point that I want to make about it right now is this point, 
that Jesus gave instructions. Instructions are for people who don't know how to do things. So he gave them instructions. There's a right way and there's a wrong way to pray or you wouldn't need the instructions. Well, that finally brings us to the outline. And here's our first point. And you really don't need to worry that we're going to be here all night because you can see that uh, we're not going very far. We haven't got much left to go here. So first, number one in this outline, which we're going to spend uh, about three weeks on, I think it is, is practicing the essentials. Practicing the essentials. Now, I'd really need to start with some comments, and you don't really need to look for blanks because they're not there. If you're taking notes, you might want to just jot some of these things down. But there's one overarching essential in the matter of prayer, and you have to engrave this indelibly into your brain. That in order to pray, it is essential that you be a Christian. Now, you, you in here, I think everybody in here tonight is a Christian. But that's a non-negotiable with God. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ before you have the right to speak with God. You have to know who Jesus is. And I don't mean, have you heard his name? I don't mean, did you ever hear that there's a historical character who's named Jesus? I don't mean, were you born into a family that has a family Bible and you got pressed flowers in it and you got, you got old pictures of grandma and grandpa and you've got the center section that's filled out with a family tree and all of that. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, do you know Christ personally by being born into the family of God? Now, the Scripture says you have to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that takes place because of repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to be born again. Now, you hear people say sometimes, well, I, I am a Christian, but what do you mean by being born again? Well, if you have to ask that question, you're not a Christian. Jesus said this is just a fundamental thing. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And what Jesus did was to give that instruction, very basic religious instruction, to a very religious man. He didn't understand what it meant to actually be born again and to know God. And so Jesus was very clear about that. This is a prerequisite to saving faith. You have to be born again. Now, I think most of you, you do know what it means to be born again. But we've learned something here in the last year, couple years or so. And that is that the messages that are preached here at Berean actually go to places around the world. And we have the opportunity to have a ministry to other parts of the world through what we say here from the pulpit. So I would say this to, to anyone who might be listening, that I want to make a very simple biblical statement. That it's impossible for you to contact God unless you're born again. That God does not hear the prayers of people who do not have faith in Christ. I mean, you have to acknowledge Him as the Savior. Now, that means then that the Holy Spirit has done a regenerating work in your heart. Nobody, nobody has faith in God who hasn't been contacted by the Holy Spirit. That's an absolute necessity. But I know that's not what most people think. So people are told all the time, well, you can just pray to the God of your choice. And then there are some of them who say, well, there is only one supreme being. Well, we'll grant you that. There's only one. But he goes by many different names. But according to the Scripture, the only names that God goes by are those that have been compounded with Jesus Christ. That's the only name that there is. So, the God of your choice, 
To anybody that might hear this, the God of your choice is most often a God that you've made up in your own mind because he doesn't exist anywhere else. Now, the true God is the one here in the Bible. And if you want to contact him, this supreme being, the only one, then you have to pray through Jesus Christ. He is the God that we pray to. So praying to any other God is like praying to a fence post. And then not only that, if you find yourself praying to what you call the Christian God, this one and only God, and you try to circumvent Christ, who is the image of the living God, when you do that, you're right next to the edge of blasphemy. I mean, don't ever think that you can ask from God or receive from God without believing what he said his son would do for those who believe in him. So God says, if you ignore him, what you've done, you've trampled his blood under your feet, you've insulted the Holy Spirit, and I don't think God's disposed to hear those who rub the blood of Jesus Christ under their feet. So I never do this. I never make it a practice to tell people to pray if they're not Christians. I'm not going to tell people to pray. If I do tell people like that to pray, it's only for the purpose of salvation because I think that's the only prayer of an unsaved person that God hears. He'll hear a cry for salvation. All other prayers of unbelievers are useless. Either pray to become a believer or don't pray at all. So I, I needed to get that out of the way first. It, it is essential when we talk about prayer, that you be a Christian, a true born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And, of course, that's the only type of Christian that there is. So now we've established this. Prayer is for Christians. Now we can talk about other essentials. But I still have something else that I want to talk about before I get to that. So let me add one more brief comment. And that is that you can, you can be taught to pray, but you're never going to reach God until the prayers that you pray have been perfected by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to know that as a piece of background information, that the Holy Spirit is the one who takes our imperfect prayers and makes them perfect so that God will hear them. And you need to know that because there are none of the essentials that I'm going to talk to you about tonight that you can do in perfection. Now, I'm only going to talk about one, but as we go through the rest of the messages, there's, there's, there's none of them that can be done by imperfect humans. So that might cause a problem in your mind. And so you might struggle with this. You might wonder, well, well, did I pray right? Did I do this thing right? I mean, did God, did God hear what I say or said or, or did I just totally mess this thing up so God doesn't hear me? Well, here's where, here's where we just kind of calm down a little bit and understand that Christ invites our prayers and the Holy Spirit takes our communications and makes them sweet in the ears of God. So that a, a person who is a young Christian, uh, just got saved, well, he can, say, he can pray every bit as, as much as a person who's been saved for years and years and years. Now, there's tools to be learned about prayer. There's things to be learned about it, things to use to make prayers more effective. But even the, the person who's just saved, he's able to talk to God because the Holy Spirit perfects our prayers, and that's essential for us too. So what do we need? Well, we're going to talk about just one this evening. The first one is this essential, and that is credulity. You say, oh, you just had to make that hard for us, didn't I? Credulity. But you have to understand, you need to understand the principles of alliteration that make it necessary for me to use words like credulity. 
And when you get to the rest of the outline, you understand why I say that. That becomes clearer. But what does credulity mean? Well, it means to trust. It means to believe readily. Another synonym for it is faith. It means to be eager to believe. Prayers must be prayed in faith with a real sense that you believe that God can do anything. You see, we could never, we, we could never go through any lesson from scriptures unless somehow, somewhere, we're talking about faith. Even if the subject is not faith, everything that we talk about is a part of the faith, isn't it? It's all a part of the faith that belongs to Jesus Christ, this thing that we believe about God. Everything that we believe is taken on faith. So whenever you mention anything in the Word of God, you're going to be talking about faith. So it's no mystery at all that when it comes to the subject of prayer, we would have to include faith, how faith is important for prayer. And there are many verses that couple these things together, faith and prayer. Now, just, just a couple here that will help you and... Uh, we don't really need to go through a lot of these, but Matthew 21, 21 and 22 is a great example where Jesus said, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Now, the profound truth that's found in those verses is that prayer accomplishes nothing if you don't believe that it will. But prayer accomplishes the impossible if you believe it will. You ever faced sometimes with the impossible? Well, I would tell you that if you're a Christian and ever prayed for a person that was lost, you're faced with the impossible. Every lost person is in an impossible situation without God. No way that it can be helped. Nothing can be done for them at all except for, with God. So that's, that's a helpless situation, a hopeless thing. That's an impossibility. There are sicknesses that you face, and maybe sicknesses of others, that'll never be reversed unless there's prayer. A few weeks ago I mentioned Elijah and we talked about an impossible task that Elijah did. Remember, he prayed that it wouldn't rain. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. And then Elijah prayed again, and then it started to rain. Elijah believed that could be done. It was an impossible task. Now, as we look at these verses, the idea here is, you know, when Jesus talks about moving mountains, the, the idea here is not that, that, okay, well, I decide that I'm going to build a house. And there's a mountain over here that's in my way. And I believe that God can move mountains. So I'm going to pray that God will move that mountain out of my way. Now sometimes that verse is taught like that. What Jesus is talking about is moving mountains out of the way. And sometimes it's taught this way. Oh, oh if you have a mountain of problems, things that you just can't get through, things that you can't solve, if you have this huge mountain of problems, God will move your mountain out of the way. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about moving mountains in that way. So, he's teaching us that if God can move mountains, and you believe that he has the ability to move mountains, then certainly he can take care of your problems. If God is able to do that, he can take care of any problem that you face. Now, let me explain. Uh, on, the, on Easter Sunday... You may remember that I, that I spoke about the a fortiori argument of Romans chapter 5. 
Matthew 21 here has some of those same elements. That if God can do the greater, which is remove mountains, then he can also do the lesser, which is to get you through the problems of your life. See, prayer has to be a matter of faith. You believe and you ask for it to be done. This is what James said, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. And then to help us further, we have Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we must pray believing that there is a God in heaven who has the ability to do all that we ask him to do. But then we have to go beyond that. We also have to believe that God is willing to do for us. Now back to the third chapter of Ephesians where I read from a moment ago. Paul said there, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Now, there we see that there are things that you can't even think of. It's beyond your comprehension what God has the ability to do. And so when you pray, you can never think, well, God might not be able to do this. And then the second part of that is that he's willing to do it. And isn't that an important part of your relationship with Christ, that he's willing to do for you? There's no reluctance on God's part. And let me remind you of that Easter sermon again, that we also looked at Romans 8.32 and the a fortiori argument that was in that verse. And, and uh, this is what we learn. If, if one thing is accepted as true, then an argument for a stronger reason must also be accepted as true. And that's what Paul gives us in Romans 8.32. He says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Now, there are a lot of great truths that are expressed in that eighth chapter and this particular part that Paul writes. And so we just kind of interrupt the flow of what Paul is saying there to extract this particular point and apply it to prayer, that if God was willing to give Christ to die for those who weren't his children to make them his children, then what will he do for them now that they are his children? Is he going to withhold any lesser thing from us if he did not withhold his son. So if you believe that argument, then how could you believe that God would be unwilling to give what you ask? So this whole thing is a faith proposition. And, and when, you, when you put it into the realm of faith, if you don't believe that God would do the smallest thing for you, then how could you ever believe that he'd be willing to give his son for you? And that's the very same argument in reverse. Whether you're arguing from the greater to the lesser or the lesser to the greater, you're still faced with faith. It's still faith that's involved here. Now, what what we also know is that the devil hammers against our faith. Why wouldn't he? If faith is cardinal, then where would you expect the devil to concentrate his efforts? He attacks our faith. And Christians that are weak in the faith, as many are in prayer, have Satan plug up their lines of communication with God. If you don't have faith, if Satan destroys that faith, you're out of contact with God. So Satan is able to take control. And then we come to the place that we don't want to pray, which is the very thing that ends Satan's control. 
And so what Satan has going on with us is a catch-22 mind game. The thing that will get us out of our problems is the thing we don't want to do. We just don't want to pray. And we don't pray because we have a faith problem which Satan causes to begin with. Now, that's kind of a condition there that shows you that this thing about sin is something that we cannot deal with. It's impossible for us to handle. So we need God's help. Now, let me close with this. Uh, we're, we're, we're not very far into this outline, but I have to bring us back to this, to the all-important Word of God. How are you going to increase your faith so that you do fully trust God all the time? How are your prayers going to be prayed in faith? How are you going to accomplish that? Well, we have this utilitarian faith verse in Romans, which says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So have you listened? Have you read? Have you studied God's Word? Now, if you're weak on this particular subpoint of, of prayer, which is faith or credulity, if that's the problem, then what you must do to overcome that problem is turn to the Word of God. So this, what that what Scripture says, faith comes from the Word of God. So God's given you a Bible for a reason. Not to sit on your shelf, not to gather dust, not to carry as your appendage to church on Sunday to look good. Well, that Bible is a thing for you to read, to study, and to get faith from. That's where God gives faith. And if you do that, your prayers are going to be meaningful. Your prayers are going to get somewhere. So living for Jesus is definitely a faith principle. Now, if you ask Christians, why do you have faith in God? Why do you have power in your prayer? Why do you like to pray? I can tell you that it's always going to be a Christian and say, I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. That's why I love to pray, and that's why I feel that I have power with God. I'm in touch with Him because He's in touch with me through His Word. So always remember that. When we talk about the Word being a priority, well, you're going to come back to that sooner or later. Somewhere you're going to circle right back to that. And Paul says, well, yes, the Word of God, you need that. But he puts here at the top here, he says... To stay in touch with God, with you speaking with Him, you've got to pray. And He's already assuming you've been in the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word and what we learned from it. And Lord, help us that we would be people of prayer. We look forward to these next few weeks as we speak on this subject and talk about how that our prayers can be more effective. So we do ask, Lord, that You make us a people of prayer and uh, that in our everyday lives we would take time just to talk with you, to be in that attitude of prayer all the time because we know that's where we're going to receive our power, where we will escape the temptations, and where we're going to be able to live for Jesus the way that we should. Bless us tonight, Lord. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.